Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Hi, church. I'm Remy Shores, pronouns they, them. I'm the apprentice evangelist here. Um, And the passage I'm going to read from immediately follows and is much easier to read than (laughs) the passage that Ken just read for us. Um, So a little bit of context for both of these passages. Um, The first part of Genesis is mythological origin story. It's prehistory. Um, It's got a couple of creation stories, it's got a gigantic flood, it's got strange creatures descended from men and angels, it's got people who live to be hundreds of years old. It's it's really wild, that first part of Genesis. Um, And this, what we're about to read, is the last of those really wild mythical origin stories. After this, we'll get more realistic, realistic for the Bible, um, (laughs) origin stories. So, uh, from Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for mortar and bitumen or tar. Sorry, they had brick for stone and bitumen or tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a strange story. Don't you think? This people comes together and their communication is flawless. They can do anything. And God comes down and spoils it. Why? Isn't teamwork a good thing? Isn't community what God calls us to? So why this story where God thwarts teamwork and community by subverting communication? The simplest and most common explanation is that this is an etiology of language. Do you know that word etiology? It's the study of causation. So In anthropology, we might talk about the cause of things like religion or different traditions or languages. 
Why do we have all these different languages? Where do they come from? Genesis, the story of beginnings, offers theological anthropology. So its etiologies always involve God. And this myth makes sense as an etiology of language if we read it in isolation from the rest of the narrative. But remember what we just read in Genesis 10? It's already established that the world is nationally and linguistically diverse. The descendants of Japheth, Ham, and Shem were spread out according to their families, languages, lands, and nations. So in its context, after Genesis 10, the story is not an etiology of language, though language is not irrelevant to the wisdom this story offers. Another possibility is that this story is an indictment against technology. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, the text says, explaining the technological development of bricks instead of stones. See, bricks are more efficient than stones because stones are shaped by nature. It's unpredictable. Sometimes they're too large to be carried or too irregular to stack with one another. But bricks are shaped by humans to be exactly the size and shape we need. So is this story warning about the dangers of new technology? Well, back to chapter 10 again. If you grew up in Sunday school, you would have recognized those names, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah's the flood guy who built the ark. This is after the flood, and the genealogy connects this story to that one. Just a few chapters back, when God gave Noah very specific and technologically advanced instructions for a construction project to save humanity. It wasn't bricks and bitumen, but it was cypress wood cut to very precise specifications and covered in pitch for waterproofing. So this God is not opposed to technological advancement. This story then is not an indictment against technology, although technology is also not irrelevant to the wisdom this story offers. Okay, what if, and hear me out, what if the closest parallel we have to this story is social media? I know, I know, okay, but just let me explain. So it's technology, unlike any we've ever seen before, developing at an unprecedented rate. It's shared language, where each post is automatically translated to the user's own language, and where likes and reactions transcend spoken language across platforms. But it's more than that. More than new technology, more than shared language. What if Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, all the socials, what if those are not services that we use, but places where we live? Think about it. What did I just call those programs? Platforms. Isn't that what we call them? It's not program or service language, it's location language. And they don't call us customers, but users. We all live on these platforms and use their technology. They're, they're places, sort of like nation states. They have their own governance, their own currencies, their own languages. 
They have districts or groups which can, to some extent, set their own rules, but which ultimately answer to the sovereign nation state. So the modern parallel to Babel is not primarily the technology, though there is that, or the shared language, though there is that too, but that everyone in the world is living in the same place. And that causes some problems. It causes problems because it's imposed. I mean, sort of. You agree to go along, but you don't really have any other choice because everyone else is going too, and you can't just stay by yourself. Solitude is not sustainable. And it's imposed by leaders who, innovative and creative though they are, are not democratically elected or qualified for what is essentially world governance. I mean, it seems like they just rule one place, one corporation, one company, but if everyone lives there, it might as well be the whole globe. The terms of service are set by the self-appointed governors, and the users don't have time to read through them, and if we did, what we found would likely not change our course of action, which is that we have to stay here because everyone in the world is here. And even if you're one of those who has made the difficult and probably healthy choice not to have a social media account, that world still affects our own world, right down to our election cycles. Even if you don't live on social media, you're occupied by social media. All of us living in this one place, it's imposed. It causes problems because it's a distraction. If we live there, who will live here? Who will do the embodied work we are meant to do? The highest paying jobs that employ the greatest minds of our generation, are they have one purpose. It's to keep you on a website longer. Think about it. So who is going to do the environmental engineering necessary to solve climate change? Who's going to keep developing these vaccines until they can be effective against every variant and work on every age group? Who's gonna develop scientific education that the general public can understand so people don't have to trust the science but can actually learn and comprehend why the earth is round and old and warming? I know there are people doing those jobs, but I also know that's not where the most money is. It's not where the smartest minds are motivated to go. It's not the priority of our culture. The priority is to keep us on a website longer. It's distracting. And it's not only the smartest minds of our generation that are distracted trying to keep us on a website longer, it's also that we are distracted by being on that website longer. <laughs> I mean, how often is Facebook the thing you want to do even as you know in the back of your mind that it's not the thing at this moment that will bring you joy or pleasure? I'm not saying it never brings you joy or pleasure. There's plenty of good happening on Facebook. Plenty of times I open Facebook and am delighted, challenged, connected, informed. But even when I'm none of those things, even when I'm reading things I already know or don't enjoy or care about, I keep scrolling because the greatest minds of our generation are really good at their jobs. All of us living in this one place it's distracting.
It causes problems because it makes us users, not participants, not contributors, but users. Why do they call us that? Do you think we could challenge that label, users? What if we chose not to be users, but citizens? Citizens of the place where we all live. What if what the world needs now is to take seriously our social media citizenship? See, this story of Babel is a story about failed citizenship. God gave the earth to humans and humans to the earth. God instructed us to fill the earth. And we did, at first, in chapter 10, all the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth were spread out according to their families, languages, lands, and nations. But now, nobody wants to cultivate the land God has made, or bake bread for their families, or tend and sit under their own vine and fig tree because everyone wants to live in this one place and use it. Users on brick platforms then, users on digital platforms now. But if we are citizens, that means we contribute to as much as or more than we take away from the space where we live. We move about the world as a caretaker, not a consumer. On social media, it means we seek restored relationships, not broken ones. It means we listen more than we talk. It means we pay producers of digital content the way we would tip them in real life, because let's face it, social media is real life. Offline, in the analog world, it means we remember that we are also citizens of this world. The air we breathe, the ground we walk on, this is the place where we live embodied. Maybe being a citizen rather than a user on social media is a skill that will translate to our embodied citizenship. Maybe one affects the other so that our dual citizenship is strengthened by each of its parts. I'm wondering if our passage can offer us some more wisdom on this. It's comforting, isn't it, when something you thought was unprecedented actually has precedent? If this problem that power is consolidated to a few non-elected leaders who have absurd control over everyone in the world in one location where everyone lives, if this is not unprecedented but an ancient problem, perhaps there's ancient wisdom here we can turn to. God's solution to the city of Babel was twofold. First, confuse common speech, and second, scatter the people. Maybe there are corollaries to that for us today. First, confuse the algorithms. Do you know what I mean by that? Facebook, and I mean all social media, but Facebook is shorthand here, it wields its power through algorithms. When you like and comment on and interact with a post, Facebook stores that information and shows you similar posts in order to keep you on their website longer. It learns about who you are by paying attention to what you post. So why not throw it off? Start liking things that are good for the world, not just interesting to you. Promote causes that benefit others who are not you. 
like Black Lives Matter content if you're white, queer liberating content if you're straight, feminist content if you're male, and so on. Before you know it, Facebook will be really confused about who you actually are. Confuse the common language. You can also be mindful of your privacy settings to limit the corporation's access to your information. And maybe adjusting those settings is not just a move to protect your own privacy, but a move to confuse the powers that be, stick it to the man, deprive a greedy company that traffics in information from some of its fuel. It's not an individualistic move then, protecting your privacy, but a communal one. Confuse the imposed common language. Cut off its information supply. Second, scattering. This one is trickier because we know it is God's intention that humanity be together in community. We're not meant to be scattered into isolation. I don't think that's what God meant by scattering. I think God knew that what looked like togetherness was actually isolation. Does that sound familiar? Social media that actually deteriorates our social lives? Alone together then, alone together now. And I think God saw that the building of Babel was a means for humanity to avoid God's call to fill the earth. The question for us then is what are we avoiding when we live on social media? Maybe we're avoiding the Christian call to incarnation. This goes back to being a citizen of our real lives in addition to our virtual worlds. Online, we're not embodied. We can forget that God created us as bodies and that our bodies need care. They can be broken. And they're meant to interact with other bodies. The pandemic has taken away so much of that embodied togetherness, but as we're finding ways to reclaim it, let's not forget how important it is. I know it's still not safe or ever going to be geographically possible for us to all gather in this space. But be embodied where you are. Invite a friend or family member to worship with you and share communion with them. Have breakfast with a loved one and talk about something real, something nuanced, something hard, something you can't talk about online. Be a citizen of your embodied world as well as this virtual one. Confuse and scatter, or confuse and do the thing you were avoiding. Or we could just stay on social media at one with the common language, avoiding embodiment, and wait for God to confuse and scatter us. That's the rest of the wisdom from this story, right? God gets everything God wants, and God wants citizens, not users, bodies, not avatars, diversity, not uniformity. God gets everything God wants, and if we don't make it happen, God will. Not because God is controlling or single-minded, but because what God really wants is our flourishing. And God knows that we flourish as citizens, bodies, in diverse expressions of humanity that reflect the diversity of the divine. God confuses and scatters for our own good. Still, 
think I'd rather take a preemptive strike and do what God calls us to before God intervenes. Wouldn't you? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.